0: And a lot of schools had hall monitors. Uh, Nobody liked the hall monitors. Nobody liked the teacher that made you follow the rules. Nobody liked the parents that held you to a standard. Nobody likes to submit to, uh, well, many people don't like to submit to authority. Uh, But we also live in a climate where it is extremely politically divisive and it has become socially acceptable to divide a country based on whatever beliefs or standards we have instead of finding a common ground to come together and fight for.
1: This is episode 112 with Adam Davis. You're listening to American Snippets, the all-American podcast for those looking to dream bigger, live better, and make an impact. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to the American Sippets Podcast. My name is Dave Brown. I'm here with my co-host, Barbara Allen. And if you're a first-time listener, or maybe you've been listening in for a long time, again, our goal here is to spread a message of positivity, possibility, and patriotism all across the country. It's to promote the American dream and to create a culture that celebrates all the freedoms and opportunities that we have here. It's all about helping Americans to rediscover the greatness within themselves and within each other. So if you get any value out of today's episode or any episodes that we've done in the past, you believe in our mission and what we're doing here, all we ask is that you share this podcast with a friend, Uh, Share your favorite episode on Facebook and leave us a five-star review on iTunes because iTunes reviews go a really long way in helping us get our mission and our message out there and these stories out there in front of more people and we could definitely use your help. So tell a friend, share our podcast on social media and leave us a five-star review on iTunes because each and every week we bring you an amazing speaker, uh, a world-class leader, entrepreneur, uh, people who are committed to living an exceptional life, people who are living the American dream. And we do that not only to inspire you, but to propel you into action in your own life. And again, whether they are celebrities or small-town heroes or... All of our guests are shining examples of the American spirit and prove that with hard work, focus, grit, determination, and never settling for easy that you too can live the American dream and design any life you choose. And that brings us to today's guest. Adam Davis is a former law enforcement officer and hostage negotiator. With a personal past packed in pain and a career that presented a seemingly constant onslaught of death, danger, and tragedy, Adam's faith and will collapsed simultaneously and he headed into a downward spiral. Convinced his wife and children were better off without him, Adam was moments away from ending his life when he had an experience that helped him push through his hopelessness and pain and recommit to life. Today, Adam is the director of of outreach at the chris kyle frog foundation he's also an author and a speaker and uses his experience to help heal marriages in the military law enforcement and first responder communities so without further ado here is barbara allen with adam davis you're listening to the american snippets podcast
2: Hey there. Welcome back to another episode of American Snippets. I'm your co-host Barb Allen here today with Adam Davis, who is yet another extraordinary human being going about his life and using his own life and his own experiences to impact others. He's got that absolute never quit attitude and mindset that we love, love, love digging into and sharing with our community. We have a whole bunch of lessons He's going to share with you through his story today. He's a former law enforcement officer, I believe a hostage negotiator as well. He's an author. Now he's a speaker and he's on a new mission to strengthen and build marriages and help and heal marriages really within the uh, military law enforcement communities. We all know those communities go to enormous lengths to serve others. But what a lot of people don't often understand is that casualty, a ripple effect of that is the tremendous strain it places on marriages and how that whole uh, energy and impact just spreads out through everything in the law enforcement officer's life or the military member's life and impacts people that they serve and protect as well. Adam, we are so excited to have you here with us today. I can't wait to dig into this. You're a super interesting person. And uh, I'm I'm told that we may also be able to get you to sing something for us, too.
0: Oh, yeah, that person's <laughs> in trouble. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, no, no.
0: Look,
2: I do thank- my due diligence, right? I do my yeah. research on my people.
0: So <laughs> Listen, I- <laughs> thank you so much for having me on. It's It's awesome.
2: Yeah. So let's get to it. Okay. Let's uh, talk a little bit, share with our community, your, ex- your experience. And when I popped uh, up, you know, we posted that we were going to be interviewing you. We had, we did have a couple of people who, you know, had some general questions and one of them was, you know, what led you into law enforcement as well. So if you're, you're able to touch on that and go from there and we'll, yeah. we'll build and pick apart as yep. we go.
0: Yeah. So, um, I, I guess it, you have to take a few steps back, yeah, and so, and so I'm gonna answer the question, but I'm gonna go back a little bit.
2: You do it in your uh, time, man this is- <laughs>
0: um I was five, six years old, I was a kid, and a non family older male sodomized me, um, and I held on to that until I was in my early twenties. Wow, um when you hold on to things that are painful, when you hold on to uh, trauma, when you try to deal with things on your own and in your own strength, it is impossible to see the dream in front of you. It's impossible to understand who you are and what your gifts are. And so for a very, very long time, for half my life, essentially, uh, I I tried to navigate through the pain in my own power and in my own strength. So it was hard for me to see where I was called to be. It was hard for me to see what my gifts were. So fast forward a little bit, I uh, got married. Uh, we graduated high school, May of 2000 and traded in our high school diploma for a marriage certificate. And we got married in um, September of 2000, September 16th, exactly. And uh, Happy at Happy anniversary,
2: almost. <laughs> yeah. Thank
0: you. <laughs> and, uh, and so we were 18 when we got married. Oof. So when my wife, not even knowing what happened to me as a, as a little boy, uh, she knew, but just not in great detail, didn't really know how it affected me. And I didn't know how it really affected me until a few years later, uh, our first child was on the way and it really, really come to my mind. And so I had to uh, I had to address it. I had a lot of hate. I had a lot of hate in my heart for the person that did that to me because I felt like that I had been robbed. Um, of a lot. And um, when, when I, my, first, my oldest was, was on the way, I felt like there was no way that I could be the best father for him, um, continue to be a, a good husband for my wife, uh, be a better man until I got rid of the negative feelings that I had towards a person uh, who did this to me when I was just a, a kid. And so I had to go through a process of uh, of forgiveness. So I say all that to lead up to, I really had no idea what I wanted to do. I knew that in high school, all I wanted to do was be in the military. I want to join the Marine Corps. That's all I wanted to do. I wanted to go and go to college, become a lawyer and be a lawyer in the military. That's all I ever wanted to do. And so when those dreams were crushed because of uh, a tumor, cyst, whatever on my ear drum, um that was dashed i couldn't get in the military so i was i was just like wandering at sea here so uh grew up strong faith at least i thought i had strong faith and uh and i felt like you know the the good men that were around me i looked and whenever they were needed uh they were there Uh, they had good families uh they were just great human beings and they were cops and I always thought, you know, man, I'd really like to be like those guys, you know, not just wearing the badge, not just the uniform, but just the good human beings that they are they're good men, and I wanted to be that, and so later on, things rocked around and um two thousand nine I think yeah, two thousand nine uh when law enforcement, it was really out of a desire to serve, it was a desire to um be a better man to give back. And I went in with the full intention of retiring in 25 years or however long it, you know, 30 years, whatever. And, uh, but I didn't, you know, apparently, uh, there's a difference between faith and faith when it's tested. Um, and I mean really tested and I know that my faith had been tested before but being faced with your own mortality uh, changes the game a little bit. And for me, uh, you know, losing friends, um, seeing brothers that were killed in the line of duty, uh, whether, you know, heart attacks or uh, being assaulted, murdered, ambushed, whatever. I mean, you, 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 it doesn't matter. Loss is loss. Grief is grief, and it's horrible. And so it caused me to, and then losing some of my very close family, it caused me to look around and and understand, hey, the life is short. And there's a book by a man named uh, Robert, I think Robert D. Smith. It's called 20,000 Days in Counting. And essentially, the average male lives 20,000 days. So I did the math and I looked at how many days I had uh, opportunities for so far. And I looked at what I had done with them and so I wanted to be the best cop I could be, and uh, I was not prepared for uh, the chronic around-the-clock uh, attacks from every angle, and that's not a cop-out. It's not a complaint. It's not whining. It's, I, I just wasn't prepared, and I wasn't prepared for, for what hypervigilance does to your mind, your body, relationships, and, you know, we're always told to stay in certain uh awareness modes but um at the time there was it it seemed like there was officer ambushes every 24 hours i know that wasn't the case but it seemed like it yeah and so uh i wasn't ready to to check out yet uh i got to the point where i was drinking quite a bit um and you know i'd come home and have a couple here and there whatever but while I would binge drink and when I would binge drink, I would binge drink. I mean, it was, it was bad and, uh, let me down some other roads, uh, you know, just not very proud of. And, and I've talked openly about that stuff and, um, it got to the point to where I was in a, I was just in a really dark place, but I started my career in law enforcement out of really seeing good men around me that I wanted to emulate. I wanted to be like, and I wanted to, I wanted my families to be like their families, and they were they were strong men and um uh, and i had I just always had cops around me you know as I aged, and um it was just something that I want to be a part of but right. so um, let me just things, stop things one second here.
2: yeah, things let changed. me stop one sec here and talk because you touched on a couple of things, and I know
0: yeah.
2: this what you just said is packed with so many things I want to dig into, and what you're going to say is going to be <laughs> packed into so many things so let me just take this a little bit here. Let's talk first about how old were you when they discovered that your tumor or the cyst on your ear and you realized uh, you
0: six, you. 16 or 17.
2: So you're 16 what? or 17 and you had wanted like until then that had been your focus, yeah. right? I was going to do this. Right. I was going to do that. And I'm going to yeah. pull on this for a second because it's an important area. Right. And you, I think you probably feel where I'm going with this. So often, we, uh, we convince ourselves that this is our path. I'm only going to be okay if this happens. Right. And you just, it just never occurs to you that anything other than what you've set out for yourself is going to be how it's going to be. And nope. very often we're hit with that, you know, Jason Redman calls them life's ambushes. Um, and it, it just happens. It happens all the time, right? We, we're, we're locked in, we're focused. We got it dialed in. We don't see anything else, but this one thing. And then that one thing, nope doesn't happen or is taken from us. And how did you, when you're a teenager, especially coping skills and all that, and especially giving yeah. what we through, right? Yeah. So how did you then, like not, a lot of people then would be like, oh, you know, I can't do this. And this happened to me when I was five, and now I have this and life's unfair. And it's just not meant to be for me. So I'm going to turn into this bitter person at 16 years old and just go Walmart or something.
0: I was was really bitter. I was really bitter. You know, it's honestly, it's um, looking back. It is, it is the grace of God. It is a miracle of life itself that I'm, I was still standing then and that I'm still standing now. Um, But I, even after they said, you are never going to be in the military. Yeah. <laughs> I tried. I tried for about 5 years to break in like I was going through every channel I could get through until they eventually said please Stop. don't ever call us back. <laughs> you're never
2: wow. you
0: never you're never going to be in the military. You're permanently disqualified. Um you're you're not getting in. Like wow. we're not going to have you. And so <laughs> it was just, you know, navigating through that. I mean it, it was a miracle. I mean, it was a miracle because I was not whole. I was not healed. I was not prepared for anything, uh, much less marriage at 18. But um, here we are 19 years later. And so it's just um, it's one of those things that life is messy. And, and you know, we, we get ambushed, like you were saying, like Jason said. and um, But we have to be willing to fight back. We have to be willing to adapt. We have to be willing to be open to what is there. And a lot of times our true destiny is not even in the place that it would seem most likely. Right. And, uh, I would have never ever at 18 or 16 or at any age dreamed that I would have five books, uh, right. under my belt at this point, never, you know, or working with some of the, my, my good friends that I have now, I it just, it's, it's unthinkable. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, don't focus on, uh, we get tunnel vision. We talk about tunnel vision, the law enforcement, military life. And you see one thing and that's all you see in your blinders on. You can't see anything outside, outside of that. Uh, Be open to what may be there because there's something, it may not be what you think. That's all I'm going to think outside the box.
2: Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, you know, there's always, uh, what what I focus on a lot What I talk about is like, there's always some kind of purpose to the, painful, you know, your pain points. Right. And you just, but it can be so hard for me when it happened to me, it it continues to happen different. It can be hard, right. To be like, okay, take a minute, you know, and this isn't just completely unfair and my life doesn't suck. And I'm not just being persecuted by the gods, you know, there's a purpose in this. And you have to kind of be able to take a breath for a second and just trust that if you don't know the purpose now, it's going to be revealed at some point and That's right. get through like one step at a time and just know that on the other side of that. But so that you were able to do that at 16 is pretty remarkable. Even though you were bitter and you fought and you know, you did all this, you didn't just give up, right? You were just like,
0: yeah. <laughs> no,
2: because that can be the first tendency, right? It could just be too painful or you could just have such overwhelming anger. You don't know how to cope with it. So you just don't, you just shut it off and go in some other. yeah. Path. So you know, props to you for, for getting that far and however ugly or messy it was, you made it through. Got
0: through It
2: doesn't have to be pretty. You just got to do it. Right? That's right. So now you get into, how did you then go through the process of becoming, where were you when, you know, when you became a law enforcement
0: yeah. officer? Yeah. So prior to being a law enforcement, I had been in pest control for several, several years. And, um, I had got into a position as a manager, and March fifth of two thousand nine I walked in to work, and um, I was fired because I had fired the owner's son <laughs> 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 he had, he had been re- he had been repeatedly <laughs> late for work, and the owner <laughs> said, Do what you got to do, and i said get your and get out you know so uh it didn't work out in my favor. but um, son. that's
2: genius. yeah
0: and <laughs> and so um march 5th of that year uh march 5th was my oldest son's birthday so i was supposed to go home to a big birthday party wherever all the family was and everybody was happy and celebrating And my wife was pregnant with our third child and she was a stay-at-home mom. And I had to go home that day and say, I don't have a job and I don't know how we're going to make it. And um, so I went home and told her, I don't have a job, but I will figure a way out to make it. And so for the next, I started applying in um, law enforcement. I'd been applying in law enforcement, different jobs. And six months later... (laughs) Uh, an opportunity to come up to police in my hometown and i had been doing everything i could and held on and god provided in miraculous ways i had i, I was i did everything like all the odnian work and made it work until law enforcement opened up and i in my heart i wanted to do it until i could retire Um, but things changed down the road and we can get into that, but, um, it was always, I I still have a love for law enforcement. I miss wearing that uniform and, and doing the work and the camaraderie, but, um, having far more impact now than I could have ever had where I was at.
2: Yeah, true. Um, okay. So let's go into it a little bit then you're on the job. Do you want to talk, you know, a little bit and, you know, you've, you've spoken and you speak freely and you already did here to some extent about things that happen on the job and just the realities. Right. And I know today uh, given this climate kind of we're existing in where people are just not people, you know, all people, but too many people just have such an awful impression of, of cops, of police officers. And, you know, it was one thing I remember growing up, we would have the jokes like, you know, don't let the cop get you, you know, bad boys, you know, that whole thing. Right. But it was, it was never without respect. And, we would right. never dream if, if we were approached by a law enforcement officer we would never dream of doing the thing you know you get pulled over for a speeding ticket and you come out of the car and you scream at the law enforcement and you got the camera there and all of a sudden like the police officer is the bad guy right for for doing his job yeah. so talk a little bit and give people an inside perspective on what the realities are uh, of being a law enforcement officer and you know why we should maybe think twice about just putting a blanket statement, uh, you know, in any profession there's good people and there's bad people in any profession. Go
0: back, (laughs) go back to, go back to school in your mind. Yeah. And a lot of schools had hall monitors. Yeah. Uh, nobody liked the hall monitors. Nobody liked the teacher that made you follow the rules. Nobody liked the parents that held you to a standard. Nobody likes to submit to, uh, well, many people don't like to submit to authority. Uh, But we also live in a climate where it is extremely politically divisive and it has become socially acceptable to divide a country based on whatever beliefs or standards we have instead of finding a common ground to come together and fight for. And that has been reflected in many marriages as well. Instead of finding common ground to work for and work together and fight for each other we destroy each other and we destroy families and future generations because of hate and selfishness. And uh, there's so many different angles that I could go down this road, but at the end of the day, it is in my mind, um, police officers, law enforcement have become a, a chess piece on a playing board. And it's for whoever can get the most political gain. And are there bad cops? Absolutely, there's bad cops. But you're talking less than one percent of the cops that exist are bad. If uh, pharmacists or doctors or teachers or uh, anybody else that you would look to had that type of, you know, good to bad ratio, yeah, uh, it, it wouldn't be something to discuss. It's because we're talking about uh, men and women who have the authority and have the power to take away the freedom of evil, and evil has a lot of power um, in this world. And so it has a lot of power in a lot of places like, you know, there's political people who are bad and, you know, there's, uh, there's preachers who are bad. There's cops who are bad. So at the end of the day, it boils down to the ancient battle of good versus evil on a very, very ultimate oversimplified scale. So, why you shouldn't uh, blanket statement that all cops are bad or go into it is because you're probably basing that on your own past experiences. You can't be pissed off with a cop if he writes you a ticket if you were speeding. You can't be mad at a cop if he writes you a ticket because you know you or arrest you because you were drunk driving. Uh, mm-hmm. You can't you can't be mad at them for doing their job. They don't write the law. Their job is literally law enforcement. They don't write the law. If you don't like the law, contact your legislation. Um, So they don't they have some discretion, but most of the time they're they're sort of they just have to do their job. So, you know, they're human beings. Every cop that you see, every cop that you see put on a uniform, it doesn't matter how big, how bad, how muscular, how mean that they may appear. They're somebody's son or daughter. They're somebody's husband or wife, somebody's mother, father, aunt, uncle nephew or niece. There's somebody that loves them and cares about them. And if we got back to the point to where we respected each other enough to find common ground on our differences, we could probably change the trajectory of a lot of different lives and our country and go back to the things that made us great in the beginning. And that was coming together saying, hey, you know what? You may be a Democrat. I may be this. You may be this. I may be this. I love you. You're a human being. I understand where you're at. Let's find a way to work together, and that has become a lost art in our country. and um, And I think that that is just, you know, talking about law enforcement and the and climate around law enforcement. It is just, I mean, it is just a, an indicator, an indicator of of deeper problems. And so, it's not going to change with one person, but it can start with one person. And that's why I started writing devotions for cops. Yeah. And um, that's where it all began.
2: Awesome. And we're going to get to, I definitely want to get into your books a minute because it's also an approach that not too many people take, you know, so in in a way that was also a bold approach in your books because crazy as as it is, you know, faith and spirituality is not a common approach for, you know, big, tough guys right wasn't
0: for
2: me yeah so that's gonna that's cool can you think about a moment a a day an experience on your job you know um whether in hostage negotiation or another aspect of it that impacted you in some way and you know what that was uh you know there had to be a lot of the days right but
0: there was a lot of days um Just seeing loss of life, um, especially people who didn't do anything wrong, um, innocent people, um, that's um, for me, being in the presence of death uh, had a way of putting a perspective on life for me. And I think that it was a gift that they gave me to see that it's really, you know, Solomon said, uh, I believe it's in Proverbs or Ecclesiastes, my brain. I haven't finished my coffee, so don't <laughs> quote me. Um, no, we're life quoting is, you. <laughs> life, is, life is but a vapor. Yeah. And so if you look at this coffee cup and you see the vapor that comes up just as quick as it disappears, that's how short our life is. And so really just seeing the horrible evil that exists in this world. Um. Uh, like not from a news headline perspective, right. not from a social media headline perspective, on scene, right present with everything. Um, that changed, I mean, it, it didn't, it's not what made me want to leave law enforcement, but it gave me a gift of perspective and, um, and losing loved ones. And so I think it probably was contributing to a few dreams that I had, I don't know if it was that contributing to it or if it was just really God trying to get my attention, but I'd laid down, uh, obviously went to sleep and woke up in the middle of the night, like, in know, absolute panic. Um, I had dreamt that I was laying in a, in a casket and I was in a funeral home and I could hear people murmuring. I couldn't hear their words, but I could hear people standing around me talking and I could smell like there was a distinct smell. And I remember thinking, um, you know, this, I'm dead. This isn't good. And and then a, there was a snap and there was a voice that said, did you do what I called you to do? Hmm. And then I had another dream, very similar. I was in a casket and they were lowering me in the ground and I could see through the top and they were throwing dirt on me. And just before I began to panic, (laughs) I heard I heard there's a snap and a voice that said, did you finish what I called you to do? Wow. And so that sort of put a different perspective on on things. And so I become really, really intentional with the way I love people, especially those closest to me. And then the broken people, because I I am a broken people. (laughs) And so, uh just you know really going against what culture would define you as, okay big you know whatever, and you know you're supposed to be a strong, intimidating person, but um, just really love like Jesus loved and being present and doing what you can to love others and so that's what I tried to start doing and speaking life into everybody that I could speak life into and encouraging you know, I didn't have a lot of money. I don't have a lot of money. But what we all have is the ability and power to speak life to other people.
2: Yeah,
0: And uh, that's really what reveals who we are down in here is by the words we speak and the actions that we take. So that's, uh, that's sort of what led to um, writing. But that was, um, you know, there, was, there were some cases. I mean, anytime you're on a case where, you, you know, somebody's taking their own life, for me, I always thought, what took them to this point? What got them here? I wanted to learn everything about them. I wanted to know what got them there. Or the murders of the innocent people. Uh, the, the, the rapes of children. Um, the hostage that was a five-year-old autistic boy uh, for a week in a bunker. Um, the, the, the school bus driver who was murdered because he wouldn't give up the lives of kids on the bus. I mean, I could go down on and on and on and on and on. Yeah. At the end of the day, uh, everybody has their own pain. Everybody has their own trauma. And that's not discounting the next person's. Everybody's trauma is more important than the person next to them because it's yours. You mm-hmm. own it. And so uh, I had to get perspective, and that perspective led me to discover a gift in a dark place.
2: Yeah. And so you talk about, when you you know responded to a scene where somebody had taken their own life and wanting to know what got them there. And then I've heard you share stories about how you found yourself in that place as well. Yep. So
0: it's, y- you know. um, yeah. So there's a, there's a common thread yeah. um, for people who want to take their own life, you know, um, And that is absolute and utter total hopelessness. Yeah. And it's overwhelming hopelessness, almost to the point to where it feels like you're being choked right here. And you can't hardly breathe anymore. And um I remember being in that place. And I thank God that um the power of the Holy Spirit intervened that when I was at my lowest point, he loved me regardless and i discovered a true love i remember i grew up in a pastor's home after my parents divorced when i was real young Uh, my mother remarried and she remarried uh an assembly of god pastor and uh so i was going to church all the time i was going to church all the time and i thought that going to church and trying to follow a set of rules would cause god to love me um would cause me to have uh an easier life uh, Mm -hmm. that I would be able to get into heaven and all this other stuff. And what I found was I was ill-equipped to handle the evil that really existed on the other side of, of the badge, like on the streets in this world. And um, so I had faith. Uh, I never doubted that God existed. I never doubted that, that he was real. Um, I doubted, his goodness, and his love. And um, I had to get to the point to where uh, it was it was literally, I was down to, okay, I'm either going to kill myself or I'm going to completely surrender to him. And really, really, whatever he has for me. Now, I, growing up, I had went to a lot of church services, um, but you got to go back to, what the big block was from the beginning that i had never talked to anybody about because i carried shame and guilt and filth and all this other stuff from a young age um it was hard for me to see god as a good father it was hard for me to see him as somebody who loved me for me because i was not lovable in my mind and um so i looked around and you know Hey, I would be literally my my wife and kids would be better off if I was dead, like they would have more money. Uh, I wouldn't be a burden to anybody. I know I'm a burden to everybody I come in contact with. I've got bills. Um, We'll work 25 years and still have to get another job. You know, um, everybody, you know, just the world's going to hell in a handbasket. What is the freaking purpose? What's the use? And uh, so I'm sitting in a car one day I had went through in my patrol car <clears throat> and uh, I was at a break. I'd been working overtime <clears throat> and I got to the point where I, I I could take a break. And so I was sitting there and. And I really was at the point of just and there's so many people that feel like this today. And you're like, you're going to be around them today mm-hmm. and it may they may not be wearing a police uniform, but they're around you and they're not going to tell you this. They feel so overwhelmingly hopeless and that's not a sign of weakness. Don't discount their emotions or where they're at or what they're feeling or what they're saying. Love them, love them and tell you, tell them you love them, listen to them. And I was in that car and I had wrestled with the love and goodness of God for months For I don't know how long it was for months. It was more like, If you're God and if you love and you love us then why why all the pain in this world why do children suffer why do all these things happen so I had to get to the point to where I didn't believe in him because um, a preacher told me to believe in him or because somebody else told me to believe in him I had to get to the point to where I believed in him for no other reason than I chose to believe in him. Now I know that the Bible tells me that even the demons choose to believe they believe, but I chose to believe in complete surrender. Like literally, Hey, I'm yours. It's today's either I'm taking my life or I'm giving it all to you. And I gave it all to him that day. And it wasn't like this immediate change. Uh, what did happen immediately and, and I wish that I could adequately describe it, convey it, so that anybody who I've told it to feel it immediately. Um, when I said, I verbally said in my patrol car, I said, I believe in you for no other reason than I choose to blame. I give you everything, I love you, please help me because I cannot help myself at this point. I can't do this life without you. Um, I have been hugged by a lot of people I've been hugged by my mama, I've been hugged by my grandma, my wife, my kids, so many friends, family, but nothing compared to the overwhelming embrace of love I felt in that car by myself that day. And from this, from that moment on, I made it a mission. Like, I feel obligated as a servant of love to love him back by loving other people and by loving myself and giving back to others through pain. And no matter where we're at. And so uh, I was always taught to give out of the place of your greatest need. And my greatest need for a long time was love. And so I began began to love. And that was what drove uh, me to start writing. So I I traded in all the alcohol for um, I had realized that I enjoyed sitting down to write. So I sat down and just started just writing. It was nothing that anybody's read. And um, and I started writing, and uh, it made me feel a lot better. And so that's sort of what led me to write my first book.
2: Yeah, writing can be a complete release cathartically. It could be torturous, but it could be a release, too. But let me just... Um, <laughs> Let me just, who was it? Hemingway said, well, anybody can write a book. All you have to do is sit down and like slice your veins open, you know, <laughs> <laughs> kind of thing. You know? And, you know, I've written a couple of books and yes. I know like it's not all, but yes. you know, when you're writing what you feel and you're in that moment, it's like, no. you're, you're not even think it's just pouring through you and out mm-hmm. and it's just effortless. But here's what I love about your story. And this is what I've had. I've been so lucky to speak to a lot of people who are faith-based. Um, and there's been something about it. I'm like, what is just so awesome about hearing this person's story? And it was just listening to you right now. It just kind of came to me. And so, here what it here's what it is. I I don't know if this has come to you yet or not. It is very easy for people to confuse faith with religion, or Mm -hmm. to blame God or whatever. So, you know, I was raised in the Catholic Church. I did not have a good experience with with much of that. I had my own struggles. You know, I faced my own true evil in the world. And no. I've had that moment you talked about, but I've also felt similar responses to when I kind of surrendered to it. So I, I can relate to all that, but here's why I think is more about your stories It's for the, all these people listening who think that faith must go hand in hand with, with religion and with a practice or with rules and all that. And if that's how you choose to follow faith and so you find comfort, great, but more important than sitting your butt in some church pew Every week, or fasting, or doing what the rule is, when you get to hear directly, like there are people who is who are not going to respond to a priest lecturing from a pulpit or whatever the other religions, you know how how they do it. But when you can sit down and you can speak to one human, one on one, and hear that applied in real life, I think it's more powerful than when you're sitting in there. So hearing your story this is why it's so important that you in particular get out there. People like Teo, who are faith-based tell your stories over and over and over. And just when you're communicating that, like for me, I've, you are the person where that came through to me, where I, I understand the power. I've always known what it was, but I didn't know how to articulate it. Right. So that's what it was like when you hear the story and you get to feel the intensity and the emotion involved, there's no denying that. So if, if you, Someone now is listening. If you are listening to the story and you're someone who believes that faith must go hand in hand with the religion, listen to Adam Davis's story more and more. Get his books, which he's going to talk about here in a moment. Um, follow him online, hear his story, and follow more people who are faith based. Share their stories, listen to them, and you're going to get that coming to you more than you would necessarily sit in, in a church. I think. Now I'm going to like. My parents are screaming
0: at me. <laughs> no, no, listen, <laughs> listen, no. You no, know, I me mean, address, it, you don't have to feel it the same way. No, let <laughs> me address that. Let me address that because, yeah. as a cop, yeah, uh, most Sundays when your family's in church, you're working. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's different feel. This this goes back to something I said early on in our in our interview. Um, there's so many different things that we could interpret differently in scripture. Um, Not all of it is literally black and white. (laughs) Um, But if you're called to serve, then serve. Uh, We are called to be the church, not a building. The building will burn. We are called to be the church wherever we're at, wherever we are. We are called to be salt and light. We're called to be walking in his truth and in the love that Jesus commanded us to walk in no greater commandment than to love him and love others. So don't be condemned because the enemy, the enemy of our soul, he has one job and that is to kill, steal and destroy. He does that by condemning you, making you feel guilty about it. And there's a difference between condemnation and conviction, but we'll get into that later. So don't feel guilty about not going because you're serving. And do you have to be a Christian to go? I, I mean, to go to church, to go to heaven? I, I don't think so. But that's, you know, just be sure you've got a community of people around you right. that is so important. So uh, anyway. <laughs> okay. So
2: let's go. Before we run out of time, let's get to these books, right? Uh, yep. Obviously, um people listening haven't figured it out by now. Faith is a big part of it. Right. So, but it is, it is kind of an area that is a little taboo to go to, especially these days, you know, where faith is often just called terrible things. Right. But
0: yeah, but so is suicide. And so is my pain. We're not supposed to talk about being molested or sodomized as a kid. We're not supposed to talk about feeling suicidal. And we're also not supposed to talk about faith. So what are we supposed to talk about? If everything's <laughs> right. taboo, what are we supposed right. to talk about? Do you, know, you know, I think
2: in some way, I think there's almost a bigger audience of people who would be willing to listen to your stories of abuse yeah. and <laughs> then, then, the, then are open to hearing about the faith part. That's just my thoughts based on what I'm seeing out there. I could be wrong. I hope I am wrong. But let's go in um, to your books. Talk about what they are, why you started them, and what your mission is with
0: these. Well yep. right after Ferguson, the events in Ferguson, Missouri happened, um, which media had always sort of been bad news about cops. Yeah, yeah, always generates clicks and you know gets media attention. So after Ferguson, it really amped up, and uh, there's a lot of bad stuff going on, a lot of toxic stuff going on, and I sat down one night I come home, took off my shirt, my vest, my belt, and sat down and started writing. And I was sort of praying while I was writing. And I remember saying, you know, who who is going to speak life to cops? Who is going to speak life to them? Because nobody is doing it right now. Everybody is attacking, all of us. Who is going to speak life? And um, I felt something down deep in my spirit that said, write a book. And um, my internal uh, argument (laughs) or disagreement with that was uh, you got the wrong house. I'm not the right guy. I don't have a PhD. I'm not a chaplain. I haven't been doing this 35 years. I am not the guy. But this is also after the period of me wrestling with understanding and and doubting his love and goodness. And so uh, I started writing it. Pretty soon, well, a day or two. And that first book was called Spirit and Truth. And it was self published, little bitty paperback, 20, 25,000 words, but humble beginnings that opened the door to um, a publisher to discover me and give me a contract for my first book, which was Behind the Badge. And uh, it's a 365 day devotion for law enforcement. It's got a, it's like imitation leather, really pretty. And uh, they gave me a contract for that. And that released May 1st of 2018. And on May 1st of 2018, I signed my first multi-book contract. Nice. uh, With the same publisher uh, to co-author three books with Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman, who, um, dear friend, and so our first book together was Bulletproof Marriage. And this little book has opened up a lot of doors. It's about 60,000 words. uh, But it's a 90-day challenge that will kick you in the pants and uh get you straightened up and, and it'll challenge your marriage. It's you know there's uh there's literally ninety days of of discussions and scriptures and prayers and stories and applications that will that will challenge you to the core. So um that's the you know there's one that I don't mention because it was terrible and it was self published. <laughs> so that was four and then my fifth one we I don't finished talk earlier.
2: About
0: that. <laughs> no and then my fifth <laughs> one i finished earlier this year <laughs> that will release uh, in 2020 and it's called on spiritual combat yeah. and it's based on colonel Grossman's book on combat which is about the uh, physiology and psychology of uh, of killing so um anyway yeah it's uh, it'll come out next year and then of course i've got three others that i'm working on that are sort of hush hush but uh, they'll be beautiful and uh, talk about them in their own time. So, I've been featured on Fox News and Entrepreneur Magazine, Huffington Post, uh, and a bunch of others I can't think of right now. So, I've written in a lot of places. So, I love I love it. It's uh, it's therapeutic, it's healing, and I protect the gift because yeah. uh, it probably saved me.
2: So, are these books? Are they? Can someone who is not in law enforcement apply? The lessons in those books. Oh, I'm sure
0: they can. Listen, I was in the I was in Barnes and Noble in my hometown, and I was walking in the aisle where this book was on the shelf, and I was just sort of walking back quietly praying. I'm like, I wasn't being weird about it. I was just walking back and forth (laughs) like I was browsing, but I was was not calling security on you. I was praying right here, and this guy walks up and he's just standing there, and he's you know got a like a mohawk or whatever, short mohawk, big guy, don't tread on me shirt, tattoos, just real big dude. And um, he's like, what's up? And I said, hey, how you doing, what's up? He was like, I'm looking for devotion. And I was like, shameless author plug moment. And so I was like, hey buddy, this may be a good one. You know, (laughs) this may be a good one. And he picked it up and he said, I effing hate cops. Let me tell you why I effing hate cops. And then he told me, well, I'm a believer. I love Jesus and all this. And I said, well, I said, let me challenge you. I said, even if you don't get this book, you can find it. I'm sure you can find an ebook or something somewhere. Read it once a day. And as you read it, pray for the effing cops you hate. And he began to have tears run down his face. And he opened up why he hated cops. And it was one incident. And he was—he began to find healing right there in Barnesville. Wow, that's so crazy. it's yeah. <laughs> so it's not just a book for cops or supporters of cops. If you hate a cop and you're a Christian or you have deep faith, then I want you to get this, read it once a day, and pray for cops because you I, I, you don't want to think about a world where we don't have them. No. And so, uh, y- you know, I've I've had people who did reviews of this book who were not cops who said this book is just written for cops. If you're not a cop, you're not going to understand it. But I think that, um, I think you'll enjoy it. People watch TV shows about cops all the time. They're not cops, but they watch them. And then this one, (laughs) there's some language in here that is specific to people in military and law enforcement community. And that is the phrase sheepdog. And uh, there's an introduction that explains who a sheepdog is. And who the sheepdog are, and if that applies to you. In this case, in the case of this book, it is the one who serves. Arguably, it could be both spouses, right regardless if both spouses serve. But for the sake of uh, streamlining a publishing uh, arrangement, uh, we have a, a section for the sheepdog and the spouse, a quick tip, questions for discussion, and all that good stuff. So, yeah, I think that it could be, you know, I've heard from numerous people that. It, this is good for any marriage military first responder or not. It's good for any marriage. So, uh, just be sure to read the introduction so you'll understand that I'm not literally talking to a sheepdog, like a dog, <laughs> that I'm talking to a group of people. So, <laughs> Excellent.
2: All right. And so where can people find out more about you to hire yep. speak or get your books?
0: Yep. So you can go to team dot com. I'm on the speaker's page there, the AdamDavis Uh, lovingly and graciously get to serve alongside of Taya Kyle and the team at the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation as director of Outreach. So if there's anything that we can uh, partner with you on that end, if you want to support us from that angle, we would certainly love to have you on board. We are serving the families of those who serve us. And that is so important to me. And uh, so you can find me, theadamdavis.com, Chris Kyle Foundation website, or Team Never Quit. And uh, or you can just email me directly info at theadamdavis.com.
2: Excellent. And you know, Taya is going to be the MC at our event in April in
0: DC. Oh, awesome. Super excited
2: about that. That's
0: going to be awesome. I got to
2: meet her, you know, years ago, and now I get to, you know, call her a friend. And so I did give her full permission. You know, everybody always wants her on to talk about her serious side, but Taya, she's got like this wicked sense of humor, right? Um,
0: Yeah. You
2: know, and I love it. I love it. It's why we're friends, I think. Yep. Um, but so I gave her permission that she can she can roast our guests, she can roast our speakers <laughs> as she emcees the event. And I think that's truly the reason why that she agreed to do it. But the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation is a beneficiary of this event. So that's it's a great so time.
0: Awesome.
2: So it'll be awesome. So- yeah.
0: I'm gonna wrap it up with this. The very first thing you asked me was or mentioned was about me singing. And I'm not gonna sing, but I will tell you.
2: Yeah. That
0: uh 19 years ago on September 16th, uh, um hang on, did I lose you? Yeah, there yeah we, we did for a second. Not, Nineteen years ago on September sixteenth, um, uh, when my wife walked down the aisle and I said we said I do. She had no idea that I was going to grab a microphone and sing (laughs) Your Love Amazes Me by John Berry. Wow. And so I sang, I've been, I've sang throughout my life, but I try not to do it publicly um, unless somebody asks me to, but that's where it comes from. So that's (laughs) uh, That's great. Good for you. Check it out on Instagram because it's coming because the anniversary is Monday. So she doesn't know that that's going to happen. I'm going to do it for on Instagram, so yeah, oh, I'm totally going to watch and then I'm going to
2: share it. Okay, a couple quick questions before we go. Um, yep. We talk a lot here at American Snippets. Part of why we do what we do, the compelling yep. reason, is a lot on what you touched on on how people yep. are focusing on the divisiveness instead of focusing on the positive. Um, the American dream is super important to us. We go into that deeply in our own programs and and our own talks. But we like to ask our guests, and I'm going to ask you here: What does the American dream mean to you?
0: Uh, the American dream for me was being able to use the gifts and talents that I was given to create a, a way of life for my family, while serving others and giving back and helping make the country better, making it leaving it a little bit better than what I found it.
2: Excellent, Adam. Thank you so much for joining us here today. I can't wait. I feel like we're going to stay in touch and follow up with you. You know, as we move forward, and definitely when you come to New York, let us know and we'll get our people I out will. to your talk. Thank Thank you so
1: so much. much. All right, everyone, that wraps up another episode of American Snippets. Thank you so much for spending a little bit of your time with us here today. I'd like to personally thank Adam Davis for being here as well and sharing his story. If you want to learn more about Adam Davis, just head on over to americansnippets.com forward slash 112. There you can see the full featured article we did on Adam, watch this video interview, uh, and we also include some social media links there so you can follow Adam as well. Uh, If you got any value out of this episode, please leave us a five-star review. And don't forget, we have our first ever live event coming to Washington, D.C. in April of 2020. It is called the Great American Summit, and it is a power-packed two-day live event with uh, myself, Barbara Allen, and the rest of the American Sipits team. Uh, It's the only summit that links patriotism with personal and professional achievement. Uh, We're bringing together some of the country's most extraordinary influencers, business leaders, heroes, veteran entrepreneurs, and personal development experts in what is going to be a high-intensity, electrifying, value-driven live event. This isn't your typical boring conference This is for people who want to challenge themselves to dream bigger, live better, and make an impact. And right now, we have tickets up to 50% off. Uh, We have some amazing keynote speakers, more to be announced soon. Uh, Right now, we have Taya Kyle. Uh, We have Daniel Alec, the founder of Grunt Style. Uh, Tyler Merritt, the founder of Nine Line Apparel. Uh, Kent Clothier, the CEO of Real Estate Worldwide. Maria Cosgrove, an amazing entrepreneur and a titan in her industry. Jason uh speed painter Tom Verano, musician David Bray. I mean, the list goes on and on, and we're going to be adding more people to the lineup. So make sure you reserve your seat. Learn more by going to greatamericansummit.com. Uh, again, we appreciate you being here this week. Now go out there and show the world how exceptional you truly are. See you next time.